The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Before we get to John Mellican, a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back with John Mellican and our continuing exploration of his journey to and from the CCO chair on this month on the Compliance Live. John, first of all, welcome back. Oh, thanks. Great to be back. John, I'm not quite sure I will see you smile as much again because I'm seeing you as we record this. Although our audience is uh, only hearing this audio, uh, you clearly enjoyed your time uh, with the Manhattan DA. Uh, but you moved into the corporate world. So I was wondering if you could tell us uh, your first move into the corporate world, and then you moved more into financial services at Bear Stearns. So uh, I know you went to the New York Stock Exchange, and then then you went over to Bear Stearns. So I was wondering if you could tell us about those first two steps in the corporate world. Yeah, coming out of uh, law enforcement and having a background in uh, securities fraud, uh, you know, some former colleagues uh, really, uh, you know, I met up with them. You went to the New York Stock Exchange, which was in you know a tremendous phase of transition. This is back in 2004, 2005. Um, it you know it's a it's a great institution. They were in the middle of a lot of change. So uh, I was only there for about a year when some other colleagues uh, who had moved on from law enforcement and ended up at Bear Stearns gave me a call and said, uh, you know, do you want to be uh, uh, the AML officer for uh, Bear Stearns or work in the AML department more accurately? And uh, I said, sure, sounds good. You know, the, the, the money was better and we were, uh, you know, we were midway into a, a, a family at that point. So it, it was enticing and went over to join uh, the AML department at uh, Bear Stearns with uh, some good friends and uh, eventually ended up working for a great woman named Arlene Samaya, who ran that place for a long time as the AML officer and learned a lot from her. So it was a quick transition into financial services and into AML. Um, but at those early stages of AML, um, you know, if you had what they used to say, a badge and a smile, you could land a job in, uh, in, in AML at a bank because, you know, they, they were looking for folks from law enforcement to come in and work in the compliance departments. So that really was the, uh, well, maybe I should step back. It wasn't the very first days of AML, but it was early AML after the Patriot Act, which was a sea change for the Bank Secrecy Act. When yep. you were there, were you helping to actually, you know, design, create and implement policies to comply with the Patriot Act and really build that program out at Bear Stearns? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, you're right. I mean, when we when, when the Patriot Act came out, I was sitting in, in the DA's office and we were learning how to use it for law enforcement. By the time I got to Bear Stearns, you know, the policies and procedures have been written. But we were doing things like operating homegrown transaction monitoring systems. The sanctions filters were, you know, pretty rudimentary. Uh, the, the process around negative news was almost non-existent. You know, you had to go give formatted search strings to people to, to exercise a lot of uh, people doing it. And in, in, in Bear Stearns, where you're doing really correspondent broker-dealer work, uh, and it was a full-service investment bank, 
you, you had a lot of different things going on between payments and receipts of securities. Uh, it was a great, great learning experience and, and actually a tremendously fun place to work until 2007. <laughs> and, and then it wasn't as much fun as it was before that. But yeah, it was it was early days, you know, by comparison to today and the sophistication that's applied to it now. Uh, but yeah, there were still new um, new regs being implemented all the time. Uh, we're still getting rid of things like uh, numbered accounts. Uh, bear shares were still fairly popular. So you had a lot more to deal with back in those days uh, than, than you see now. So you went to uh, then uh, American Express or uh, um, American Express Travel. It seems to me that's moving from not Bear Stearns, not that Bear Stearns was small, but Amex is huge and uh, literally all over the world. Uh, so what was maybe that experience like moving to a, a size uh, and established corporate presence uh, of American Express and American Express Travel? Yeah, I mean, again, and there's a, there's a theme that runs through this. A lot of you know how I got to be each and every place was really highly dependent on a lot of the people that I met along the way, and I'll spare everybody the, the names. But uh, you know, when I was at um, Bear Stearns, we transitioned to being J.P. Morgan there for a little while. Uh, the you know the famous uh, sale or takeover, whatever it was. But you know, some very generous, very smart people that are well known in the community. You know, they they took you in and they said, look, uh, you know, we understand you're looking at Opportunity American Express. And they they honestly said. You know that's the, that's possibly a good idea for you. There's you know really talented people over there. Um, I had an opportunity to work with a gentleman named Rick Small, who famously wrote the SAR rule, and uh, you know it, it was just one of those transitions that made sense. Uh, but again, like you said, uh, going from an investment bank to sort of the corporate behemoth of American Express, it it also allowed me to exercise some new skills and learn a lot more of how to operate in, in a huge environment like that. And, you know, inside American Express and travel related services, which was really the MSB, it wasn't the card side of things. It was more the, the famous traveler's checks, gift cards. They had an FX business there. They had, you know, the obvious travel business, uh, the exchange houses. It was a lot of the things that, you know, obviously had no risk to them. Uh, from an AML perspective, it was it was a lot, it was a lot of interesting uh, products and services. Some of them old, some of them brand new, but it was a great experience. You know, gift cards at the time and electronic gift cards in particular uh, were were fairly new, uh, and travelers checks at that point were you know already a dinosaur, but still you know a lucrative uh, business for American Express and something that mysteriously was still fairly widely used around the world. Um, although, you know, not very popular in the United States anymore. So what were maybe a couple of lessons that uh, you learned uh, that you took from moving over to, uh, as you said, the behemoth? Was it really just uh, learning to navigate in and around a company of that size and work with what I would uh, assume to be fairly rigorous set of policies and procedures or, or was it something different? Yeah, I mean, the policies and procedures around, you know, compliance weren't tremendously different than they were you know, at Bear Stearns or even the, in the stock exchange and, and certainly no more rigorous than the penal code. But it, you know, it, it, it was the surroundings of it. It was because it was so large, it really did stress the importance of you couldn't have the relationships all in one area like you could at Bear Stearns. You worked with the business and then you worked with you know, just internal compliance. Uh, in American Express, like I'm sure most people have experienced big corporate uh, life, 
you have to have a working relationship with so much of the of the, the structure. You have to have you know, your uh, operations people. You have business. You have business operations people. You have HR people. You have IT people. And they're all very spread out. They all have very different constituencies and priorities. So it really put uh, the focus on if you want to get things done, you have to have not only the skill set, but you have to have the relationships that allow you to get those things done. And that your your success and the success of the program that you're trying to drive is equal parts your ability and then your ability to get other people to help you with that process. And it, you know, unless and until you learn that, um, you know, it, life can be much harder than it needs to be. And they were great people at American Express, really fabulous partners, particularly inside compliance and legal, um, or they called it compliance and ethics there, uh, working with them that were tremendous partners. So um, very, very, very good time. A uh, very, very interesting place to work. John, unfortunately, we're near the, the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our third episode in this four-part series where we talked a little bit about you moving into the CCO chair. And um, before we end, though, I wanted to ask if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself or the topics we've discussed today, where could they go? Uh, just over to Exeter.com is probably the best place to get information. So, John, I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thanks again, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.